Hello. A brief word regarding the episode you're about to listen to. Due to technical difficulties beyond our control, you may notice certain audio issues. For instance, a minor reverberation when Jeff speaks. And not simply because, when it comes to hard-hitting entertainment opinionizing, he speaks with the voice of God. We hope these occasional glitches will not impair your enjoyment of the following stupidity. Season three, banana. Season three, banana. Someone admits it's season three, banana. Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew, a new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And on we, it's the Slum Gullion. We're still booking ghosts on the Slum Gullion. You're not getting ghosts on the Slum and welcome to the Slumgullion, America's only podcast. I am half your host, Scott. The other half of your host is... Actually, I don't know. Jeff, are you there? Where are you? Yo. Yes, hi. Hi, Scott. Yes, hello. Um, it is me. I am Jeff. Um, I am still here. Um, for those of you who are wondering, I am now standing in the middle of a whorehouse somewhere in Istanbul, not Constantinople. Um, it's a little bit hazy, and uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm, 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 I'm feeling pretty good right now, but uh, I'm, I'm very glad to be joining you. And uh, we, have, we have a guest, don't we? Wait, uh, uh, um, oh. What is her name? Uh, Britney Spears. Oh, wait, no, her dad wouldn't let her, would she? Who'd you get? No. no. Uh, joining us today is Mary C. Yay! Mrs. C. You know, I don't mind that you're in a Turkish seraglio. That's fine. But satisfy my curiosity. Are you uh, selling yeah. or buying? Right now, I'm just looking. Okay. <laughs> Large shirtless men wearing fezes are giving you the stink eye, uh, window shoppers. Actually, I'm kind of smiling at a few large shirtless men with fezes, but so far I'm looking at either um, a large shirtless man with a fez, a beautiful dancing girl named Gina, or a pound of luncheon loaf. I haven't quite decided which one I want yet. Lunch is not pimento loaf. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I wouldn't go there. But that is not... Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, that's good waiting room. Okay, so what did you want to talk about today, Scott? Yeah, sorry to have tracked you down halfway around the world, but I got some stuff to say about Loki. <laughs> so uh, you guys watched the newest episode? Yes, 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 it was not. <laughs> was I correct in what I told you before you watched the first episode? Yes, I, I avoided spoilers, so I had no preparation for the shit they were throwing at my head. I mean, this was some seriously dangerous fastball chin music, and I was not ready for it at all, which was great. It caught me unawares, and I'm still, I don't know if I'm astonished or mad. I think both. We'll get to this episode, the, the game changer, in a second. But um, can we talk about that final shot in episode three? Dear God, there is no difference now between motion pictures and TV if you have got a big enough screen. Yep, yep. The last week I was actually sitting in a small villa on the French Riviera and I was watching it on a 100-inch screen. At least I think it was 100. I was on a lot of mushrooms, so it may have just been 20. By the way, it looked really good. Just from my own experience, don't take the screen's word for how large it is because they do exaggerate. 
Hey, I've heard about screen envy. But anyway, that freaking shot. Some people were bitching because nothing supposedly happened in that episode. Oh, just character development and important yeah. plot advancements. Uh, sure, nothing. Nothing happened. No, 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 no. People were saying it's a filler episode. I'm like, I, I, I first thought there was, oh, fuck you. Excuse me. Filler episodes are usually shot on the standing sets. And in a basement. In a, or in a basement, <laughs> right, with a lot of clips. And this was in no way a Family Ties clip show. I mean, you cannot have a filler episode that ends with a shot that would have wowed an IMAX audience. Oh, my God. I can only imagine now seeing that shot in IMAX. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I agree with you. This was definitely not Webster on the next generation level of filler. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. It's right up there with Gary Coleman being on Buck Rogers. Well, see, that's that I can see. That's a more sensible use of talent. <laughs> I can't believe they wasted Webster. <laughs> well, you know, hey, some people like different strokes. Some people like Webster. It is what it is. Different strokes, if you will. But anyway, so, I mean, we had that great character stuff. And hang on. Ooh, that honey-baked ham smells real good. And so does that dancer. Uh, I'm sorry. I had a tangent. Go ahead. You were talking. Oh, oh, right, right, okay. So, that episode, I mean, episode three, again, fuck everybody said it was just a filler episode. But when I first watched Loki, the newest episode, um, I watched it um, later than normal. I had hopped onto Twitter to check the news feed and get my daily anger management out of the way when the first thing that I saw was, if you haven't seen Loki yet, stay off the internet. Good advice, as it turned out, and, and I thank you for passing it on. I saw. Then I was yeah. like, oh, okay, then I'm just going to get off the internet. And I had also read, I had read an interview with Tom Hiddleston where he said episodes four and five are really when stuff starts happening that even he wasn't expecting. Like he was genuinely shocked by what they did in episodes four and five. And um, episode four, yeah. <laughs> I just want to say one thing about people who decided it was a filler episode, episode three. The fact that they found out the cardinal lie that all the employees of the TVA are variants who were plucked from the timeline, the sacred timeline, and basically made indentured servants of this organization. That struck me as a really holy shit plot development that was going to have serious reverberations through the entire fabric of the story, and not just this story. I had a feeling it was going, the ripples were going to continue on into other properties, and Episode four confirmed that because this is setting up clearly some major pillars of the next Marvel phase. So before we go any further, we're going to say right now, full spoilers for episode four. If you are watching Loki and you have not watched it yet, do not listen to this episode until you watch it. Damn it. You, you need to go into this thing completely blind. At this point now in the fifth year of the show, whatever it is, do we really have to give people spoiler warnings? They know we have. Dirty little diuretic mouths, and we don't yes. shut up. <laughs> yes, yes, but, but this, this is important. important. <laughs> this, one, okay. this one is worth the warning because that episode. Bam! What do we start with first? I just want to say right off the bat, like when, um, when they, I saw a picture, like on, I think it was on Disney Plus. I can't remember. Oh no, it was when. The first time you see the timekeepers. The first time you see the timekeepers. I call it. I said it. No, Wizard of Oz. Yes, exactly. 
Because I thought they were so bad. I thought, eh, they're not, no, not even for TV would Marvel consider this suitable special effects. So I, I, I was not surprised at all that, that it turned out they were audio animatronic figures in Disneyland, really. <laughs> now, and apparently, I don't. I didn't know about this, but I, I, I was watching a wrap-up video or an Easter egg video, and they said those designs are pretty much what the timekeepers look like in the comics. They're, I mean, they're comics accurate as far as their appearance. The story's going off in its own direction, but that's fine. I, I do like the fact that, that the MCU was being run by a fan. I mean, Kevin Feige knows comic books and has has an appreciation for it, but also a guy who's who's a smart enough producer to know that you really have to pick and choose when you draw from canon because it's a big tangled skein. It's a it's a huge matted mess, and it's basically the Marvel universe at this point is very much like Mary's old cat Hobbs, who was a Maine Coon. Um, <laughs> he had a very messy pelt. And it was difficult to take care of and to prune. And I, I feel like that this is Kevin Feige's job and no one appreciates it. He is a cat groomer and he has only Maine Coons for clients. And he all makes them look like lions. Yes. Yeah, he gives, them, he gives them the lion cut, which is embarrassing for them, but fun for us. Anyway, <laughs> as soon as people see something like, ooh, it's the timekeepers, it's really the timekeepers, they make a lot of assumptions based on comics lore and... I've stopped doing that because I know he's going to streamline everything. He's going to pick one. He's not going to pick 10 things. He's going to pick one thing. And even if that was later retconned, it doesn't matter because the MCU is a different animal. But it is as as capable of surprising me as anything I have watched lately. I mean, you were saying last night that it wasn't, when you said it was an oh shit moment coming, it wasn't the emotional freight trains that slammed you right and left in WandaVision. It was more... Plato shit, which I'm absolutely ready for. I don't think I can handle another one division so quickly after one no, division. No, not right now. No. Don't I, you feel no, that way, Mary? I, I, no. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I I'm ready not to cry at a Marvel TV show. TV show, yeah. Because I didn't cry during the old uh, Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man show. Oh, I did. Well, I it was. Did. I mean, it. You you weeped for how bad it was, but. Uh... <laughs> Do you know he was in Sound of Music? Yes, he was yes. one of the Von Trapp kids. I just found that out. He was also he was also one of the murderers in the uh, '70s version of Evil Under the Sun with Peter Ustinov playing Hercule Poirot. Oh, huh. holy crap! That's right. And Whoa, that spike deep cut there. Yeah, yeah. I I know my Nicholas Hammond stuff. As everyone should, gosh darn it, justice for Nicholas. He should be into the Spider-Verse, too, or at the very least, uh, No Way Home or Multiverse, whatever the fuck Marvel's doing next. Okay, um, next question I, I, I have to ask, and I, I want to ask Mrs. C first because she has been very quiet back there. Did you say, did, did your jaw drop or did you just say holy shit when uh, Mobius got it? <laughs> I just went, no! It, it was a very Vader at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Not Owen. Yeah, first, I mean, like, at first, I, I didn't say anything, but yeah, I, I sat up, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't do a long no. It was a, seri it was a series of quiet no's. But it actually started for me with a mini surprise that I wasn't expecting, the return of Sith. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. I felt a little bit bad for her because she really, you know, she had like six lines and they didn't vary. And she had to do them over and over again. 
So it wasn't exactly a challenging part that's, that uh, stretched her range as an actor. On the other right. hand, she did get to knee Loki in the nuts like six times. So I can see why she'd take the job. I'd like to point out, though, that there was one point where she doesn't knee him in the nuts. Because he's already down on the ground and he apologizes to her. And she's held out her hand. I'm like, oh, she's going to knee him. But she didn't. She just walked off. She just said, you're going to be alone. She still said that you will be alone and always be alone before she walked off. So the point still got across, just not the pain. Well, actually, the point got across better because you thought for a second, oh, maybe there's forgiveness. But yeah. then she said the thing that was more emotionally painful to him than the nut punch was. And the, the fact that this, this episode focused on what a narcissist Loki is and what, why that keeps bringing him to these same low points in his life was fascinating to me. Because when I found out that, that the premise of the show was Loki escaped right after the Battle of New York, didn't go through any of the humanizing experiences with Thor and other heroes that made him basically find his own inner heroism. I thought, well, eh, you just canceled a whole bunch of very interesting character development. I'm not sure I care. But now we're getting the character development, not in a moment, not in dribs and drabs over multiple movies. We're getting it moment by moment in this show, which is laser focused on his deficiencies as a person. And I think the lesson is actually getting through a lot more powerfully this time. But it's funny. There's only so much you can do when you realize you're a narcissist to stop being narcissistic. And they actually took it to the dictionary definition, the, the Greek myth of Narcissus. He falls in love with himself. He falls in love with his own image in a reflecting pool. And Loki was apparently getting the hots for his own female self, which is hilariously narcissistic. As narcissistic now, as you can possibly get. I would like to throw something out here in this discussion because it was a thought that I had while watching it. And while the narcissism thing, and especially Mobius calling him out on the narcissism thing, oh my God, that scene was freaking hysterical. I had a slightly different take on that sequence. I should say I don't think because I'm pretty sure it was the narcissism after the whole Mobius explanation. But I mean, when I was watching it, I was actually thinking it wasn't that he was falling in love. What caused that such a strange spike was two Lokis have, facing a heroic death. I think it was two Lokis actually for a brief moment or at that, that, that time, just the way it was acted and the way they shot the scene. They looked so peaceful while right before the two doors showed up. It was almost kind of reminded me of the end of Deep Impact. Deep Impact oh. Armageddon. Whenever, when they're just sitting there watching as, as they prepared, they've accepted it. That's what that scene kind of felt like to me. Well, when they were sitting there together, hands linked, watching destruction roll toward them, we were thinking of the end of Rogue One. Oh, that too. Yes, yes. I, I didn't think of Deep Impact or Armageddon because in those movies, I was so ready for these idiots to die <laughs> that all I could feel was unbridled joy. I like I I like Deep Impact. I didn't like Armageddon. But I actually I I thought I, I thought Deep Impact was the more emotional of the two stupid people at the end of the world thing. I agree with you to do a film, but I actually like the characters in Deep Impact. But no, Rogue One is a better example. And I thought when this show started, oh, it's going to be Tom Hiddleston doing his thing because they've reset the character, and we're going right. to go through that sort of impish genocidal joke. Glorious purpose. We we're going to get a lot of that. And we did, but it got beaten out of him by the bureaucracy very quickly in yes. the first episode, which gave me hope that, oh, I think I, I, maybe I'm going to like this. Maybe it's not going where I think it's going to go. 
and it is not. And when I thought, oh, this is going to be no challenge for Tom Hiddleston, they're actually throwing some things at him that are forcing him to play notes that I don't believe have really ever been a part of his performance as, as Loki. And it's, Completely agree. it's, it's become a very rich portrayal now. And I'm very, very worried, but excited about where it's going to end up, where he's going to end up, where we're going to end up. So after we had the uh, Mobius shocking death scene, then we have the, um, well, for lack of a better word, the arrival of the timekeepers. Oh, and oh, oh, can I just say, I can't remember the hunter's name, but holy shit, making the one hunter who remembered going to get um, Sylvie. Mm-hmm. Her little character arc, I did not say, I was not expecting that at all. No, because she was... And then when she showed back up at the end to help with the fight, I was like, fuck yeah! Yeah, I kept wondering whether that revelation was going to have any impact or whether it was simply, they were simply too well controlled, or simply too well conditioned to to revolt or to even question their existence. But when she, who's who has been depicted as the most militant and hard-ass of all yeah. the hunters, actually kidnapped this variant and let her enchant her so she could experience that memory again. I thought it was a fun character. Now it's an interesting character. Yes. And can I just say, um, the, the, the writer, creator kind of me and me, dude, absolutely loved the fact that we did not see her memory. The camera was just focused on her and her reacting to the memory. I loved that. I thought that was the right way to go. Yeah. Did she have a spouse? Did she have a child? Did she? I was felt a little cheated when we didn't see it. I was surprised. But then she said, I was happy. Oh, yes. that's all we need. That's all yes. we need. That's exactly why I had no problem with not seeing it. I loved the look on her. You could tell by the look on her face. She was happy. But then when she said it, I was like, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and this is a woman who, based on every appearance in the show up till now, has never been happy. <laughs> yes, exactly. She's not and happy then, in her oh, work. <laughs> oh, oh, and let's talk about the... Okay, we knew that... Uh, what's her name? Oh, God, I can't think of her name. The judge. Verona, Verona, Lavana. What was her name? Renslayer. I had a feeling there was something up with her, but oh man, her heel turn started quick in this episode. It really did. But you know, she is in in the comics, I believe, she is a lover of Kang the Conqueror. Married to Kang. Ah, married to Kang. So at least at one point. She was Mrs. Kang, yes. So Mrs. Okay, Kang. another <laughs> Mrs. Kang. Um, another theory. We were watching the episode, and especially when Sylvie asked what made her a variant, and uh, Judge oh so obviously said, I don't remember. Yeah. I, again, knowing that we were going to get a Wizard of Oz with the timekeepers, I was thinking, all right, either she is the, the woman behind the curtain, or she knows who is behind the curtain and i'm wondering if we will get kang and like the in the final post credit scenes yeah i as soon as that robot head rolled across the floor you go, yeah. okay so who is pulling the strings here somebody is and it's not as simple as three reptiles trying to maintain order out of chaos something else is going on and look he's gonna pull a toto I'm hoping. As soon, as soon as that head hit the floor, I started thinking, where's the judge? Where is the judge? And I wish other people had thought of that too, because then we get the ending, fucking Loki dies, supposedly. Yeah, I was not ready for that. I was, I mean, I was surprised when they deleted Butterscotch Stallion and uh, Mary, Mary was wrecked. But when they deleted Loki, I, was just, I, uh, I did I have any react? Did I visibly react to it? I was too busy in my own feelings at that moment. Okay. Because I, I just remember not knowing what to think. 
okay, there's two episodes left. How, huh. What? <laughs> I, I guess we're going to get to know the janitorial staff real well. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking, okay, maybe Sylvie is going to become the main character now. Maybe they'll yep. go into some of the others. And I was so lucky after we watched it, I, 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 I said to my buddy, okay, they usually start the mid-credit scenes halfway through the series. Yeah. The last two series, the mid-credits series are halfway through. Let's keep, let's, let's watch the credits. Thank God I did. Because Richard E. Grant. As a Loki. As a comics actor at Loki. Oh my God, that costume. That was hysterical. And, and, a, and a Black Thor, who looked very much like Isaac Hayes in Truck Turner. It was odd. No, I, I don't think he is. Is he another I Loki? do not. I, yeah, they call him they call him boastful Loki in the oh. credits, and that's one of the things I was watching from one of the uh, roundups. They said here is a Loki who is carrying Mjolnir. Apparently, in the comics, there have been a Loki that was worthy at one point. Okay, that is actually comics thing. So no, yeah, that is a Loki. And so it's it, the it's the alligator. It's an alligator Loki, which is weird. Yeah, some kid holding an alligator. <laughs> With a Loki crown. Okay. But then uh, Thor was a frog for quite a while. Yeah, exactly. And a horse. And a horse. Did you notice the Avengers Tower? We wondered if this was... The New York... That that was destroyed by the Chitauri when the Avengers failed in this dimension or or this timeline. But I don't know. We'll we'll find... I'm, I'm past trying to guess my way through this. You have guesses? I have guesses. All right. Oh, Mary's, please, Mary's sitting please. on some guesses here. It's now, it, it is now time for our favorite game show, Guesses with Mrs. C. Go. <laughs> okay. So it really stuck in my head, the, the end credits, and I was like, wow. What? And there's, and that, so when they prune, they're not killed. They're just sent to some other universe. Like, well, what did the time authority, who is in the time authority? And why would they do that? And... It occurred to me, first of all, I'm guessing um, the time authority is somebody who's not trying, who doesn't see the timeline as sacred. They're not trying to save the timeline. They're trying to control the timeline. Shape it, you mean? Shape it, make it their thing. And then I mentioned this kind of, I said, and Lady Sif, what if she was a variant? What if they took her out? Because she kind of disappeared. They did say she was a memory, though. It was a memory vault or a memory And cell. she is coming back. She is going to be in Love and Thunder. Yes. Okay, so that I thought, well, maybe, what if she was, you know, being manipulated to be this memory? And she okay. Because she, she did break the, the sequence of events in his memory. That's true. That is true. That is, that is That's like true. free will right there. In a memory, yeah. Memories don't usually have free will. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's my guess. So, so now I'm thinking it's kind of up to all the Lokis. <laughs> and maybe Sif to save time. Come on, Lokis, we can do it if we all get together. <laughs> What's the I'm alligator going to do? Said, this is, see, I'm going to take what you said one step further. I had a thought. Yes. And also, if indeed they're going to introduce Kang, this kind of ties into what I know about Kang. What if there is no sacred timeline at all and the whole thing is just part of the control? What if the quote-unquote sacred timeline, because remember that whole multiversal war they meant, that Miss Miss mentioned, that's all part of a, um, that was all part of the uh, propaganda from the TVA. For all we know, that never happened. There was the speech the Ancient One gave in Endgame about the timeline, the danger of fracturing it, what could happen. 
So there is some concern for that in the, the metafiction of the Marvel Universe right now. But it doesn't mean that the TVA, which took it further, calling the timeline sacred, is engaged in protecting that at all. It obviously has some, some other motive. If you remember that speech, she talked about the, the importance of the Infinity Stones and the, the various forces they controlled and that removing them would fracture the timeline and, and cause variations and alternate universes. Alternate universes. Yes. And then we find a, just a whole desk drawer of seemingly yeah. inert <laughs> Infinity Stones in that one clerk's... In his junk drawer. In his junk drawer, basically, yes. <laughs> and he said, oh, yes, a lot of guys use them for paperweights. So... Are they feeding off of these? Are they killing universes one by one by collecting these? I, I thought at first it was a joke, but this show has made me think nothing is, is necessarily done as a throwaway gag. That everything that's happened that we've witnessed is going to have some significance going forward. I don't usually trust people to be that good about paying off, but I think they're going to do it in this case. But I don't know where that's going to lead us, and I almost don't want to know. I remember you said earlier when we were talking on the phone that the way Loki is handling the distribution of Revelation reminds you a lot of the glory days of Battlestar Galactica. The Ron Moore one, not not the Lauren Green one, although the Lauren Green one is basically the same idea and, and it remains a good idea. It's just it wasn't a good idea to do it in the 70s because they were uh, they're trying to do Star Wars. They were trying to do Star Wars, but make it look like all the variety shows that were on at the same time. What if what if it's Star Wars? But instead of like Jedi and Sith, it's Sonny and Cher. And then we get Raymond Burr on and he'll talk the lyrics of Windmills on My Mind. Oh, it's going to be great. I watched it. I did not. <laughs> I even watched Battlestar 1980. I'm the complete total nerd. <laughs> okay, I think it's time for Fascinating Irritating. And uh, who wants to go first? Uh, should I go first? Jeff, do you want to go first? Me first. Fascinating was the, the end credit scene. And it opened up so many storyline possibilities. And I wondered, well, where did Moivis end up? Is he somewhere in the wrecked New York or is he somewhere else? Irritating. The show was only 30 minutes. There we go. Fascinating for me, well, is basically how much of a big fat liar Kevin Feige is. Because he said, you will not need to watch these shows. You don't need to sign up to Disney Plus to appreciate the movies. Yeah, maybe that's true. But you know what? What's going on in these shows makes it easier to follow the movies that I've already followed, let alone what it's going to do for the movies that are coming. The things they're doing with characters that got short shrift in the first few cycles is amazing. I, I'm still astonished by what they did with Elizabeth Olsen's Wanda. And what they're doing with Loki is just as interesting. I, I think the Falcon and the Winter Soldier probably won't have a, a whole lot of impact. That was just fun, Bourne-style action-adventure but this, I think, is really planting seeds. They are sneakily putting things in here that I think are really going to, if not be essential knowledge going into the movies, enhance, enhance the experience immeasurably. So I guess we'll put this to something of a stress test next week when Mary and I go to see Black Widow. I, I definitely let me know because what you say will depend whether I see it in the theater or not. Okay. Because it's difficult now to figure out the chronology right. because things got pushed back so much by COVID that TV series wound up premiering before the movies that were supposed to set them up. And Black Widow being a prequel anyway might not be the best example to, to judge by. However, once we get into the new releases with uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings in September, the Eternals are in November... Spider-Man No Way Home, I believe, is coming out around Christmas time. And then there'll be Doctor Strange early next year. 
I think that will get a real good look at whether there's actual synergy between the TV and the movies. Personally, I, that's what I'm expecting. That's sort of what I'm banking on because Disney is enormously vertically integrated. They leave no money on the table at any time. From the top to the bottom, from the Mickey Mouse watches to the coonskin caps, the movies, TV series, radio Disney pop divas, video games, toys, the theme parks. It, it's all one big, complex, interwoven machine designed to extract the last penny from your pocket. So, well, Feige's statement about, you know, a church and state style wall of separation between the Disney Plus shows and the MCU movies may be technically true at this moment. I think history shows us that as time goes on, those roots are going to increasingly intertwine. They can monetize anything they will. And if, if they can activate that collector completist instinct in nerds like us, then why wouldn't they try to sell more subscriptions by tying the movies and the TV more closely together? What I'm saying is, again, I think Kevin Feige's a big fat liar, which is good. I don't think they should be afraid of tying the movies and the TV more closely together. I mean, I remember the jolt of energy that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. got midway through their first season when suddenly the, the Hydra reveal in Winter Soldier lit that show up changed everything and it became much much more entertaining and and one of the worst characters ward uh, became a terrific villain so i'm all for it i mean if you don't watch the tv series it's not like diving into comic books for the first time or starting a new soap opera knowing nothing about any of the characters or relationships the, the movies will continue to be intelligible i think to the average viewer but you're going to get a lot more out of it if you fully commit and and i use the word committed because this is a form of insanity. <laughs> Dedicating yourself, diving so deeply into any sort of franchise, that's nutty behavior. And yet, I am gleefully closing my eyes and doing a big swan dive in it all. So, you guys got me, Marvel. I, I had some sales resistance when this whole thing started, but it is just ebbed. I got nothing left. As for irritating... um. I've been completely satisfied by this show. I've been more than satisfied. I am not going to return the unused portion for a complete refund. And uh, I'm not even going to bother trying to trying to get ahead of it. I mean, that's my instinct. I have no desire to. I have no desire to lessen the impact of this. And you've heard me say I, I don't care about spoilers. I kind of do where this show's concerned. Because that the impact of last night's episode would have been immeasurably less. So from now on, at least for Loki... I may change my mind. I may go back to my previous policy, but at least for Loki people, please don't spoil things for me like I'm doing for you now if you haven't seen it yet. Okay, Jeff, you're fascinating and irritating. Jeff? Jeff, can you hear? Uh, lost the audio. Let me check the drone footage. Uh, oh. Hmm. Well, he's been accosted by some large, muscular, bald men wearing bib overalls and fezzes. So I guess either the Hermeneutics have arrived to put him to work, or the farmers caught up with him, and they've gone native. Well, either way, they should make for a good story next time. I guess that's up to me, then, to wrap things up. On behalf of Mary C. and my, I hope, not former co-host, <laughs> thanks very much for listening. We will be back shortly with more of this nonsense, and until later...
Aşkım sonuma 